Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major audio podcasters and Odyssey as well. Credit to Justin Campbell, as always, at jcamp1521 for the intro. Today, my guest is Aaron of Time on Earth. Uh, we are back to normal after my little break after the strike, so this, this is... This is a paywall one. So the live stream right now, if you're watching the first, it's public, but it's going to go behind the paywall after, and then about a week or so later, I'll drop it public. So if you want to be able to get it in the meantime, you have to be a patron at patreon.com. So it's no way Jose 2020. Uh, lowest level is two bucks, and that's to get you the just the standard episodes. And the highest level is 20, and that's sponsors. Uh, my sponsors are CD McRae of the Whiskey and Tea Podcast. Jeremy, who has an Etsy store, etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty. You can follow him at Twitter, uh, Jeremy Rhymes, and Mikel Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. Uh, me, I got Aaron with me today because we're going to be doing the live readings of an agorist class theory. Uh, this one will probably be a little bit shorter than the other ones. The other live readings I've done it because it's a... Uh, We'll probably, it'll probably only take two episodes, just so you guys know. But this should be a fun one. Anyone knows Aaron and then anyone knows class theory can see the obvious reason why I brought him along. Uh, I do want to let you guys remind you, check out my OKC series. And also uh, another development, I have Dave Smith come back on the show on 12th. Uh, I have, I'll have either some combination of two out of three of uh, Top Lobster, Clint, and Reed Coverdale. We're not sure which. Depends what the hot thing of the day is, who has more to say of it say on it uh we'll figure it out when it gets closer but you know pop in for that one that should be a fun one uh make sure you're checking out tower gang go to odyssey go check them out tower power hour and you go to topoffs.com use jose at checkout for 10 percent off get merch from him he has my merch he has tower power merch uh, all sorts of different shows merch he has a lot of his uh art that's not like show merch type stuff uh, definitely go check him out with that let's go ahead and get aaron in here and get into it hey what's up man hey what's going on not much, man. Real quick before we get into it, just in case this is the first time for anyone knowing who you are, uh, if you want to do the whole little, we won't do this for the next episode, but just kind of do the whole standard who you are, what you're about, and uh, you know, kind of deal, you know, what you do, and go. <laughs> um, yeah, in meat space, I'm a uh, I'm a facilities manager, <laughs> which <laughs> I, I don't know how I ended up there, but uh, yeah, I did uh, nine years in the Navy, got out, uh, kind of fumble fucked my way through the, the, the corporate ladder. And, um, you know, along the way, I like everybody, I'm sure that's listened that like you and I, and all your audience, uh, I've gone through a lot of evolution in my, I guess, ideological, polit political, uh, framework. And, um, here I am, I've, uh, I've studied any, and anything from Lenin to Sam Francis to, uh, you know, Rothbard. I've kind of I've kind of run the gamut of dissident right wing thinkers and um well and yes I did say right wing and include Lenin in the same in the, in the same <laughs> sentence in a certain sense of the term I guess mm. uh, I mean that's kind of the fault of the whole left right wing thing I'll probably piss off some NRX guys but really it's just a matter of how you're defining it oh, uh, yeah, I mean yeah. I get what they mean when they say it you know I know I know what they mean but at the same it's time actually, it's actually uh he's actually known as right wing on the left. Oh, that makes sense. I can see that. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. We're talking conk and that's a common thing he gets. People get mad. He calls himself left libertarian. I'm like, I, I don't know. I guess it depends how you mean it. Uh, left market anarchism, baby. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was defining it along the lines of whether you were involved in like pol politics or not is how he was mm -hmm. defining it. And that's why he considered Rothbard a right libertarian and him a left yeah. libertarian. But, you know, whatever. Who cares? I, I will say there's definitely a fair point to say 
uh, it is kind of lefty because I think, you know, he kind of sucks in the lefties by calling it lefty. And so then it kind of gets taken over in that way. Try and take the, it back a little bit. but The appeal to left wingers <laughs> would be everybody owns the means of production. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess in a sense, sort of, yeah. I mean, they, they own their own means of production, and against a sense that's, that's what he's shooting that's for. That's the ideal end game. Yeah, yeah, in a sense, but he's not necessarily saying that that's uh, it's wrong if that's not the case. Because uh, even in this foreword, which I'm about to read, I mean, I was skimming through it, and they were talking about that, you know, because that's one common misconception a lot of people get is that, like, uh, in, I've heard other agorists make the claim that it's like, uh, you know, because it uses the term wage slavery sometimes, that it's like, and he's, I don't, I think he's more being it tongue in cheek personally. Other people have different opinions because he's definitely said before, that like essentially there's not, it's not like it's not wrong. It's just not preferable. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I see it as well. But yeah, uh, you know what? One of these days I think me and you need to talk. I don't know if we ever talked about the whole military thing. Cause it's kind of wild. You did nine years. Cause I was just thinking about that. Cause it's one thing I get a lot. I did 11 active and people give me shit all the time. They're like, why didn't you just finish out? And I'm like, yeah, you, when you're so deep in, you're like, and it is kind of like, you pass that 10 year hump <laughs> where you're down. Well, I don't want to say downhill cause it only gets worse after oh, yeah. E6, oh. but uh, yeah, like I figured if I did 10 years, I'd just make a career out of it, get out with my pension and be good to go. And then w- at nine years or no, eight years, it start. it was time to start thinking about reenlistment. And I was like, there's no, there's no amount of money and no pension big enough to make me go back to a show. Yeah. I mean, for me, the further I got in it, the less I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, cause like when you're younger, you're just kind of like, I was an aircraft mechanic and I enjoyed my job. Uh, so like it was a fun job. I liked yeah. it. I mean, I didn't like all the shit that was going on above me. Uh, but like, I liked, you know, just you know, doing, doing honest day's work type deal or, w- yeah. or what I thought was, but, uh, yeah, the further I got in, the more I'm like, dude, I can't do another 10 years of this. I fucking hate it. I hate yeah. everyone. <laughs> yeah. yep. So it's like yeah. the abstract of your job yeah. is what destroys your your morale yeah and then the further up you get the more bureaucratic it gets the more it's like uh in inner part inner inner work politics and it's just like i i can't do this too many too, yeah. you know button up heads but all right let's go ahead and get into this i don't want to take up too much of your time uh let's start i'm gonna start with the forward uh by who's this by this is by let me see the forwards by to give this dude credit uh brad spangler i'm not really sure who that guy is uh, no no diss to him the forward's pretty good though i skimmed it earlier so um the very term of un- once again uh, we talked before pipe in whenever you want there's a live reading uh you know where the whole point's to you know read it and then kind of con- converse throughout the very term evokes mental imagery and rightly so, of bloody tyrants and their apologists. From the killing fields of Cambodia to the massacre in the Catan Forest, from status dupes calling for more government power to fight poverty, to Trotsky's bastard ideological grandchildren that are called neoconservatives. It has been a fig leaf... Two out of three are pretty based. Yeah, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, neocons suck. Um, It has been a fig leaf for banditry and the ravening twin thirst for power and blood. It's been in the mantra of those who would conspire to realize Orwell's nightmare vision of a totalitarian boot forever stomping on a human face. I'm referring to the other war, the class war. Marxist doctrine doctrine held, in a nutshell, that the relationship between the common people, the proletariat, and the elite capitalists was a continuation of the master and slave relationship of ancient times, and that any means, regardless of how ostensibly evil it may appear, was justifiable in addressing that iniquitous inequity I've seen a lot of s's so far and i'm regretting not making you read it with my stupid fucking lisp <laughs> but 
but whatever. I barely notice. You guys I'm can from deal Massachusetts, with it. so <laughs> two out of three people have a lisp. That's true. Uh, I'm originally from Maine, so maybe that has something to do with it. Um, with the meltdown of nearly all avowedly Marxist states in the late 1980s and early 1990s, the notion of a class struggle was supposed to be consigned to the dustbin of history along with the rest of the smoke and mirrors of Marxist ideology. There's only one problem, though. Marx's analysis of the world around him was partly wrong and partly right. Where there is truth, there is relevance. It is time for libertarians to dust off the notions of class struggle, class consciousness, and class warfare in order to place them within an increasingly sophisticated libertarian-slash-anarchist ideological framework under the primacy of the zero-aggression principle. I, I think that might be a good place to talk for a second, because that is one point I think it, there's always a lot of contention, I think, sometimes whether we even should have a class theory as like more liberty-ish type people. I personally like it, but not in a strict sense. The, I like it as like a kind of a temple or something to refer to type deal. But Well, the, a class theory is useful in that it provides you a framework for the friend-enemy distinction. Um, when you're engaging in dissident politics or dissident economics... Um, it's important to have have that uh, have that checklist for um, who is your friend and who is your enemy. And a class theory can give you the characteristics of each of those categories in an easily digestible way that um, you know a, a midwits like us can can get by with. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You said it way better than I did. But yeah, uh, you know, I don't think it should be a hard and fast thing, but it does. Ha it is good to have it as something to refer to, essentially. Hmm. One flaw in Marx's thinking, you see, was his theory of exploitation. Libertarians realize that there is nothing inherently ex exploitative in any genuinely voluntary agreement, such as agreeing to work for a wage. That was what I was referring to earlier. Likewise, there isn't anything virtuous in subtly coercing compliance with demands for labor to be performed on dictated terms, including wage rates. So, yeah, the, the, you were about to say something? Yeah, I mean, nothing that hasn't been said before. It's uh, there, th there's a th there's a power differential mm -hmm. in it's, it's like voting in a democracy um, who gets to decide, you know, what your choices are. That's yeah. that's the real. That's the real problem is yeah. like, you know, the, with the, the, the market such as it is right now, uh, we have a choice between like dog shit, dog puke and dog jizz. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, those choices were given to us by a class of people. Yes. Yes. No, it's true. And like, uh, I do think it's important. I don't know if I necessarily completely like how he frames it, like the subtly coercing, because I feel like coerce is the wrong word in, in sense of a like a wage thing. But it's kind of getting at the root. Uh, you know, it is a voluntary agreement, but I would say it's not preferable. Uh, I do think the idea slightly that, manipulated, maybe. Yeah, yeah slightly manipulative. Uh, and it is like in today's age, we've seen how a lot of people had to end up getting the vaccine or whatever because of their jobs and shit. And it's like, you get sucked into this. You world. don't have to get the vaccine, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is, but we're going to make your life hell. And you know, we're going to make you work from home or this or that, cut your hours, what, what have you. Yeah. Voluntary. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think, you know, if, if for this, anytime, like this is one of the best times to point out that like, Hey, maybe you should be trying to build up side streams of income. Like not, no one's saying you yes. have to make it your only source, but it's good to have something to be able to fall back on if you need something. Absolutely. So, 
All right. Where Marx was right in his analysis is that under state capitalism, as opposed to a truly free market, there is an ex exploitative relationship between the money interest and the common people. He misidentified their oppressor class, though. What is this? At Go ahead. You see something? See, right off the bat, yeah. I, I don't know what, what logical fallacy it is, but um, Marx doesn't differentiate between capitalism and state capitalism. Yeah. Uh, what we would view as state capitalism, Marx would say, is an inevitable result of like li free market liberal capitalism. Yeah, which I, I think that is super important. I think so many more of our kinds need to realize this. I don't know. I think too many of our kind are binary thinkers and stuck in like, well, this thing is objectively this or objectively that. And it's like, you need to realize when people use certain terms, what they're meaning. Cause I, I remember going to argue with somebody a while ago, like, like, cause you know, yeah. Cause agorists sometimes will frequently call themselves anti-capitalist, but we know, we know they're referring to it in that same sense of like how they use capitalism. And yeah, so like, and, and how the word's been used for mm -hmm. since, you know, Adam Smith. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, we're, not, we're probably not going to be the ones to change that meaning in any cultural sense. Exactly. And it's like, and don't get me wrong. I normally use capitalism in the way ANCAPs use it, but that's because oh, yeah. of the people I hang out with. If I, for any reason, need to interact in an honest manner with some sort of lefty, mm -hmm. I will like interact with them or understand their terms in the way I'm not going to sit there and argue with them about the definition of a fucking word. Like who gives a shit? Like, well, let's just like the point no, of man, words is got to reclaim yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. The whole point of words is to convey meaning. Like, so like, yeah, sure. With your in group, use the words that you use. But if you're dealing with out group and they use a word differently, like, I don't know, be fucking smarter than, a, than the normal average bear. And like, Realize that. Actually, <laughs> so. yes, I am a faggot because faggot means I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is this actual oppressor class, you ask? The actual oppressor class is the political class, as originally identified by the Frenchman Charles Comte and Denoyer over 150 years ago. By the political class is meant those who draw their livelihood not from the market, but from the state. The political class is the parasitic class that acquires its livelihood via the political means through confiscation, taxation, and other forms of coercion. Their victims are the rest of us, the productive class, those who make their living through peaceful and honest means of any sort, such as a worker or an entrepreneur. It's a little rough, right? Because it is yeah, implied, like me and you both being former military. It's like, yeah. like but it's like, it's kind of true, like in a certain sense. In like, 2022, it's I, I would have a hard time differentiating. I mean, even even me that works for, you know, a, a, a private, uh, ostensibly private firm, mm -hmm. um, probably 75 percent of my paychecks come, you know, in some form or another from, you know, the, the private equity class that yeah. is entirely political. Yes. Um, so if, if you chase your if you chase the rabbit hole of your paycheck down far enough, then we're all political class. Yeah. Unless you're like 100 percent out now, agorist. Like, yeah. yeah, if you have any sort of, you in, know, in any, a jail cell. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you're any sort of corporate anything. Yeah, that's true. But this is why it's, it's it's funny. It's almost like uh, I don't know if I feel like Konkin did say something along these lines at some point, but I've always tried to point out that. I think looking at public and private as a binary is kind of foolish. I think it's good to look at it as a long spectrum. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, so uh, it, although we're talking about class theory and that's kind of what we were getting at earlier, which it is useful to be able to have a class theory, but at the same mm -hmm. time, you should be able to be smarter and realize that the lines do get blurred. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah.
Yeah. There's subclasses. I mean, even in even in Marxism, there's subclasses. Yeah. Your petty bourgeois, your lumpen proletariat, which are just descriptors for subclasses within, you know, broader classes. Yeah. State capitalism, which most confuses the free market, is most properly understood as a form of socialism in a Hayekian sense of status control. That is to say, it is banditry under guise of law. It would also be economically accurate to label it fascism, mercantilism, or corporate statism. Conversely, a true free market or capitalism in the Randian sense of non-aggression minus Rand's own personal fetish for big business would, I maintain, bear a striking similarity to the vision of anti-state socialists and distributists. Wally Conker, Conger has distilled in the accompanying text the essence of Samuel Edward Conkin's third, III's unfinished exposition as class theory. Agorism contra Marxism. I'm deeply honored to present Agorist class theory. Brad Spangler. Uh, do you want to point out, just for those who aren't aware, this is technically not a uh, Konkin book in a sense, although it was, like you're saying, it was put together by Wally Conger from pieces of unfinished work of Konkins. And so you'll see as we read through it, he will he will, he will will have his own thing and then he'll say Konkin said. So you'll, you'll get the idea of, but it was kind of, this was something he was working on around the time he, you know, leftover stuff around the time he died. So which I would have really loved to hear him from to still be alive to see what kind of work he would have put out. So, yeah. yeah but. All right. Introduction. Marxism is dead. This is acknowledged almost everywhere with the exception of university campuses and among stodgy old leftists and uninformed media pundits. And oh, Marx yeah. <laughs> Marxism's dead except for the media and the colleges. <laughs> that's for, that's like, pretty much dead. Everything, yeah. The Marxism dream is dead, wrote Samuel Edward Conklin III. The institutions move on Decadent zombies requiring dismemberment and burial. The gravediggers of capitalism approach their own internment. I don't know. I feel like this is one of those things that depending on how he means or your interpretation, he's either dead wrong or like, I don't know. This could be interpreted yeah. a few different ways, I think. I, I don't know. On its face, I don't agree with it, but I'm certain interpretations I could agree with. I guess. Um, yeah, I'm willing <laughs> to adopt that interpretation that, yes, like orthodox Marxism is dead. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I, I though I feel like what he's implying is kind of like, oh, you know, we're we're winning type deal or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah, and I then think that's what he's getting at. <laughs> you know, get, getting into this reading, what he thinks is rising up in the ashes is probably different from what you know myself and even you think. Yeah, exactly. Because like, uh, I, I think there's some truth to this. Because I, you know, if Conkin was alive today, I think he'd be like astonished by all the stuff that's come about. But, no, like, it's it's yeah. it's uh you know, t typical libertarianism, they are so good at diagnosing the problem. And I, I, if I remember correctly, the last time I was reading the New Libertarian Manifesto and even some of this, like, yes, the diagnoses are absolutely correct. Yeah. Like, and go on, continue. And I, I, like the truth I would see, even today's one, one, I think we're starting to, see, I think as time goes on, we're going to see, because a lot of people ask me with like a lot of the like fourth industrial revolution, uh, agenda 2021 or whatever the hell, all, or whatever the hell it is, like some of that shit coming up. And they're like, oh, do you think they're going to do it? Do you think they'll win? I'm like, yeah, I think they'll win, but I also think we'll win. I think as time goes on, we're going to see a, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like organization. Yes, essentially a, two, a separation. Uh, Cause uh, one of the, what was the agenda 2020 what the fuck is it called i'm forgetting it now but i know in one of the papers there was that thing we were talking about you know you'll you'll own nothing and be happy and that little article they do point out how there'll be these you know crazy people that live on the outskirts and kind of almost like these you know backwards bumpkins and it's like 
And obviously they're characterizing me in a negative way, but I do think in the future, there's a good chance that we'll kind of be LLB. We'll have our technocratic, you know, fucking, you know, smart dis- cities. Yes. And, yeah. Yes. And to some people that'll be utopia to other people, that will be a dystopia. And, but on the outskirts, you'll have people that depending on the way you view it, that could be amazing or awful. So, yeah. and you know, it, it, I, it's weird. Cause you know, fucking, I think history kind of rhymes. Cause uh, if you look back, that's kind of how it was way back when, when civilization start, first started popping up. There were like the their barbarians in the outskirts yeah. and stuff, and then the people that started, you know, coming up around, you know, centralizing around agriculture in certain areas. And because uh, I remember, I wish I could remember the guy, the name of the guy, some uh, old school, you know, anarchist historian. And he, like, I guess he went into like, if you look at the fossil records and stuff, it looked like the people that lived in the outskirts actually were like, you know, if you looked at, they were healthier. They seemed to have like, you know, good lives. Like it, so it's like the idea that you had to be part of this, like, you know, where civilization was is a little bit of a flawed idea. You know what I mean? So, yeah. 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 But, and I think we're going to, it's almost like history rhymes. I think we'll kind of see a little bit of return of that in the future. Um, Marxism failed on many fronts, perhaps on all fronts. Most fundamentally though, its failure was economic. Marx's map of reality, his class theory was fatally flawed and economics was a measure by which his philosophy could be checked with reality. Uh, yeah, I can agree with that one because that's kind of my point why I think we will see a breakup because I do think the powers that be will start centralizing further, bringing their power, you know, more inwards and thus opening up, you know, kind of, you know, uh, popular liberties like archetropism thing will kind of open up for, you know, their power will come in and it'll allow others to kind of, you know, have their power elsewhere, essentially. And I think that's, you know, sort of a failing of their economic shit, but like it will take a long time for it to fail. And even then it'll probably might reinvent itself in new ways as time goes on. Um, uh, The failure of its economics led inevitably to Marxism's failure to live up to its political and historical predictions. Roe S.E.K. 3, which is Konkin for those who aren't aware. Remember well that Marx outlined history and brooked no significant wandering from the determined course. Uh, is that true? I mean, you're more of the Marx guy here, so maybe you know. Is that like, a, did he write it kind of like a very strict, like this is how it's going to be for sure? Um, like not too strict, but yeah, I mean, uh, dialectic material, it's, it's dialectic. So um, with dialectic materialism, it's kind of a cross between um, what is going to happen, like what, what the next stage of historical development is going to be. And then also sprinkled in with like, here's why it should happen. Yeah. Uh, Matt W brought up a good point, which is kind of, I guess, sort of kind of a little bit we're getting at and maybe to kind of find an agreement with Konkin in a sense, because class Marxism is dead identity Marxism. So I guess my point of like kind of reinventing itself as time goes on. The old school Orthodox Marxism has been replaced by, uh, you know, identity politics pretty much. Yeah. Not not a perfect surrogate by any means, as as we can see right now. There's the the the, the masses are, you know, disor- disorganized as usual, but uh, they know that they don't like it. <laughs> so, yeah. should history not unfold according to the determined pathway scientifically obtained, all Marxist theoretical structure crumbles. Marxism failed to produce a work table model of reality. On the other hand, it has won the hearts and souls of billions in the past century. In order to bury Marx, it is necessary to deal with his apparent success, not his failures. And once again, I guess that kind of talks a little bit to what we were talking about before, too, where it's like there is still his remnants of it. Um, His strong points must be overcome, not his weak. 
if radical Rothbardians, Rothbardians, uh, Agoras hope to replace his vision as a prime inspiration of the left. Uh, once again, this is probably my major contention with uh, Konkin, although it's not necessarily his fault because I think it was kind of a, a thing of the time. If he had known what the left would be today, maybe he wouldn't have been so keen to put left, left, left everywhere because I do think that you know, brings in you know the modern day left, which I think kind of corrupts it in some sense personally. Uh, you know, giving it that aesthetic since you have a bunch of lefties that don't read that fucking end up being like, I'm a fucking agorist. <laughs> so, yeah. But, and then um, just the idea that, um, you know, Marxism failed from, you know, a, a failure in its economic system. Um, if you look at like Mikhail Gorbachev just died. Mm -hmm. um, he was the last premier of the Soviet Union. He was not a, he was not an effective elite. He was not an effective statesman. Um, he was basically an agent for, for the West. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, nobody nobody could foresee the Soviet Union failing. There, it, there's no reason why, if if it were somebody a little more hardline than Gorbachev, that it wouldn't still be around today. It failed because they lost confidence in their elite. Perhaps, yeah. I, I, I mean, although I feel like at some point they would. Uh they would uh, lose confidence because their economics would get shittier and shittier as time oh, went yeah. on. Yeah, so I mean, they, they were they were pretty shitty, like, production-wise up up till, like, 1989 or whatever. But, um, yeah. you know, the fact that they're, for so many generations, their, their population had been kind of engineered into compliance, um, you know, through fear and intimidation and all that. Or, or just from, uh, you know, a, a sincere feeling of patriotism and, you know, the, the worker, the worker class, the working class struggle. I, I don't know, but uh, yeah. there's Mikhail Gorbachev kind of came in and snaked his way through and undermined that. And uh, that, and uh, at least in my, in my estimation, did more to take down the Soviet Union than, um, you know, you know, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall did. Yeah, for sure. I definitely can agree with that. I'm a big fan of uh, elite theory. Uh, I, I lean towards that more than populism, although I kind of see it as like a, it's not really one of the other type deal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's strengths and weaknesses of both, and it, it comes down to the context of the time and yeah. the culture you're talking about. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Although I, I, my point would be at some point, uh, Gorbachev would have came along anyways, you know, yeah. it, yep. and the worst yeah, economics, <laughs> yeah. And the, the worst economics got, the more likely you would get something yeah. like that. So, all right. For chapter one, the Marxist appeal, Karl Marx himself asserted that should history fail to bear him out, he would admit he was wrong. History has passed judgment. Just as Ludwig von Mises's forecast in his landmark book, socialism, in which the impossibility of economic calculation under Marxist statism was demonstrated, Marx's economics failed horribly. This economic failure led inevitably to the failure of Marx's political and historical predictions and Marxist-controlled institutions today coast on intellectual capital and historical inertia. Uh, I did want to point out real quick, this is kind of the or beauty in a certain sense, I say beauty, but that might be the wrong word, of fascism, because it is like a melding of the two. And it is kind of like, I think in a lot of ways it's shifted. And that's kind of why, you know, you look at somewhere like the United States, why we lasted so much longer than they did in a certain sense, because uh, we have a, a melding of the, the public and the private more so than somewhere, you know, uh, then, like Russia. Yeah. And then another characteristic of uh, both fascism and communism is you have this, 
this metaphysical aspect to it as well that kind of they 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 permeate to you know the their their elites and their followers um metaphysical aspect like for, for instance right now we have this uh this idea of like diversity equity and inclusion mm. um you know that's been that's been made manifest in all of our institutions you see and yeah. uh that all that is is just a a, a mirror like sh showing you the regime and uh and and just reflecting power back to the regime it, it, the more people are incentivized to participate in it yeah like like i said in there esg like anyone's really familiar with esg that's basically what's going on there yep um, so too. yeah but marxism still won the hearts and souls of billions in the past century and continues to do so among many even now why what is marxism's appeal Samuel R. Conklin III wrote, The most appealing part of Marxism may well have been the vision of socio-political revolution as a secular apocalypse. While others offered explanations of revolution, only Marx gave it such meaning. No longer were the oppressed to merely oust the old regime to bring in a new regime brutal in a slightly different way, but the revolution would make things so great that no further revolution was necessary. Marx's ledger domain. I've never seen that fucking word. Ledger domain. Ledger domain. Ledger domain. All right. Well, ledger domain. All right. Whatever. I don't like that word. Uh, I have no idea what it means. It was actually profoundly conservative. Once the revolution was over, there would be no more. Even diehard Marxists flinched from that much stasis. Yet the combination was unbeatable to motivate political activists. One all-out effort, and then home free. More realistic presentations of revolution tended to excite less dedication and commitment. Uh, all right, you have any thoughts on that one? He's kind of getting the idea of revolution and what you know, kind of that's the the kind of a fundamental of Marxism in a certain sense. Yeah, it's uh, you know, like just like Christianity has its uh, has a whole field called eschatology, which is the study of the end times and the ultimate salvation of mankind. Uh, secular systems like like Marxism have that, ex that exact same thing because it taps into our, our human need for uh, better times ahead. Uh, yeah. You know, it's uh and it's, it's very appealing. I don't, I don't know if that's its main appeal. I think mm -hmm. its main appeal is, uh, you know, you have whole groups of people that are like, I'm poor. And then they look across the street and they say, he's rich. He must be, you know, he must be exploiting. And uh, it's it's partly their fault for being stupid, but it's also partly the rich people's fault for not fostering a culture of, you know, not not voluntarily fostering a culture of, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think if, if they don't do that themselves, then they will have it dictated to them. And I think there is That's something Marxism. too, uh, you know, the idea of, you know, how myths and like what they inspire in humankind and like aspiring to something greater. And then like, even just look at our, you know, the American, you know, experiment, you, like it's the, the idea of the American revolution is like, you know, at the core of like the, the soul of what is oh, yeah. it, it is to be an American. So, uh, and like, even now, you know, secular like, humanist. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, you look even now, like, you know, like the boog movement was big a while ago. And that, I think that the soul of that was like the idea of a new revolution. Look how shitty everything is. We'll just, you know, we'll revolt and make it good yeah. again. Like, okay, <laughs> that was totally how it'll fucking work out. Um, but yeah. Um, but the truth remains today. Marxism is bankrupt on the left. Faith is gone. Morale is low and activism is paralyzed. 
Do you know what year this was written in? Was this like uh, 80s Reagan era? I feel like this is probably late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, Reagan, Bush. Yeah, yeah I can see why he would. I could see why you would think that at the time. <laughs> Although even today, I think there's some truth to that because I think sometimes we get caught up that 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 that's the opposite, but we we forget that it's a small amount. Like you're a big you're a big person in the Twitter Twitter world. Like I can't tell you how many times you see like you know these people that you think would be the leftist ones just getting ratioed to shit because it's like it's it's kind of a it's a vocal minority in a lot of ways. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I and think- every day the pendulum swings back and forth as. You know, one one day I'll be like, fucking the Patriots are in control. All right, we got this. And then the next day I'll be like, just taking a handful of black pills and wanting to hang myself. <laughs> but the truth remains. Oh, I already said that. Uh, the left needs a new ideology to supplant its failed and discredited Marxism. You know, like you said, this was late 80s, early 90s ish. I forget exactly when this was. So there definitely is something to that. Uh, you know, I think they in many ways found or, or, you know, found a little bit of a new ideology. So I think there, there's some, oh, yeah. something to this point, you know, I, yeah. I, I personally think they've, they've had this, this ideology all along. And, you know, I, I, I think Orthodox Marxism died pretty much in the, as soon as Stalin took over. Yeah. That's it fair. It became uh, more, more managerial. Yeah, like the hardcore Marxists really don't like him because, yeah, he really just did not follow through. And that's where you get, you know, I, I think he did a whole thing with Pete on this before. And it's kind of like this is where a lot of people get caught up like, oh, well, that wasn't real fucking communism or whatever. And it's like, OK, yeah, well, I mean, you're probably not going to get that. <laughs> it was it was communism with Russian characteristics. I mean, with any revolutionary movement, even agorism, you have to take into account the characteristics of the culture that you're that you're agitating, you know? Yeah. Which is, uh, this is why I said before, I kind of like, I wish I could find a new way to frame it. I like the wealth power influence. Cause I think that's a lot, a lot of ways kind of similar to what agorism is. Mm-hmm. Cause uh, I think that idea is very much kind of the same thing. Just a slightly different perspective on it. Uh, the whole idea of like building up your wealth power influence. And I do think, you know, getting away from the state is while and doing it, you know, you know, weighing, weighing the risks and, and stuff while you do it and trying not to fuck yourself over. I do think that is, you know, cause if you do put yourself in a position where you're less reliant on some corporation or the state and you're building up your own wealth, I do think that builds up your wealth, power and influence. So, Absolutely. you know, yeah. It's uh, just, which, uh, it's a, the only problem is uh, that I, that I've seen is scaling, scaling yeah. and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, infiltration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Subversion and infiltration of any popular movement. Yeah, which is uh, this is why I was kind of getting with elite theory, and that's kind of like the the wealth power influence thing, because it's idea of you start building up, making yourself better. It's you don't even really necessarily need to be spreading any. People just kind of naturally follow. Look at this guy; he's doing good. If you get more people doing that, it kind of catches on. Uh, I have a couple of examples of subversion, but I'll I'll let you read some more and see if I can connect them in into the context. Of okay. This. All right. Agorism, the purest, most consistent and revolutionary form of libertarianism is that supplanting ideology. Agorism can motivate and direct the underclass's struggle against the, the overclass and return the left to its radical anti-state, anti-war, pro-property, pro-market historical roots. You know, this is where, I mean, I guess it depends on what he means by left, but I, I, I don't really... Personally, I don't really see hope for the left in that way, but you know, it's when he wrote it. So, see, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the timeline recently, but uh, Ghost Guns 
was just in a lot of hot water for uh, their hot takes. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, like, uh, and this is this is kind of an example of like, I mean, three D printing is ostensibly uh, the most agorist thing that comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as like, yes, this is a black market activity. No, there's nothing you can do about it. So we're going to proliferate it as much as possible. Literally owning the means of of firearm production on an individual basis with, with no limits except technological, but um, like, and then you have the most prolific, like one of the most prolific accounts on there saying like, sure. Pedophiles should be able to be armed too, which. <laughs> if is- I, I wish I had the tweet because I, I feel like, I, although I didn't really look into it deeply, maybe there was more, like more to the thread. But the bit I saw was, I didn't really feel like was worth. If that was it, I don't feel like it was worth. It was a all real that, like, all more. lives matter moment. It was yeah. just kind of cringe. <laughs> it, the way, I me- if it was what I think it is, I remember seeing it and being like, well, I don't know why you'd say that. Like he's not wrong, but it's like one of those things of like, why would you say it? In it's terms, kind of, yeah. In terms of agorist or libertarian theory, he's perfectly fine in saying that in terms of uh you know bringing popularity to your movement and you know gaining more traction in in popular consciousness i don't know it's it's the typical fucking crash and burn marketing (laughs) yeah which yeah my my point is like yeah like don't get me wrong like like uh, if what we're talking about it's like this idea of like yes that is correct but it's also the idea of like you don't have to say it. It's the idea yeah. of like, it's like, it's the idea of like, a lot Read of the fucking like, room. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where people will sometimes like from our camp will, will defend their enemies and be like, well, per a libertarian position, this is correct. Well, I'm like, yeah. okay, why are you, why, why, like, why, like, just shut the fuck up. Like you're right, but shut the fuck up. Like, why would you come to their defense? Like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, let them eat shit. Like, like in, in our in-group, we can have a little discussions. But okay, I'm it's fine, just but. leaving yourself open for your detractors to be able to point at something and say, these guys support pedophilia. Yeah. Like, it's walking right into that. Yes. Agorism and Marxism agree on the following premise. Uh, this is Konkin, by the way. Explain Konkin, it said. Uh, Agorism and Marxism agree on the following premise. Hist- human society can be divided into at least two classes. One class is characterized by its control of the state and its extraction of unearned wealth from the other class. Furthermore, agorists and Marxists will often point to the same people as members of the overclass and underclass, especially agreeing on what each considers the most blatant cases. The differences arrive as one moves to the middle of the social uh, pyramid. Agorists and Marxists perceive a class struggle which must continue until a climactic event which will resolve the conflict. Uh, I, 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 I guess I have some things to say about that because uh, when I think of the agorist revolution, I don't, although it is like the way he describes it, at one point there will be a uh, inflection point the way he describes it, but I, I feel like that's the wrong way to perceive the agorist revolution because it is, the way he describes it is a revolution, but it's more of a, I, I more see as an individual, a slow. If you're looking for that flashpoint, I think you're 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 missing the mark. It's, personally, it's a revolution insofar as it's not an evolution, and it's not a reform. I don't know if, if something's not an evolution and not a reform. I guess that means it has to be revolutionary. But um, 
you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess if you attach if you attach an ideology to it, sure. All right. Both sides perceive select groups which will lead the victims against their oppressors. The Marxists call these groups of high-class consciousness vanguards and then extract even more aware elements designated elites of the vanguard. Agorists perceive a spectrum of consciousness among the victims as well and also perceive the most aware elements of the, as the first recruits for the revolutionary cadre. With the exception of intellectuals, the Marxists and agorists sharply disagree on who these most progressive elements are. All right, now we're on to chapter two, precursors to Marxist class theory. Although today academics largely credit the doctrine of class conflict to Marx and Engels, historian Ralph Rako has for many years advanced the 19th century classic liberal exploitation theory of Comte and Denoyer as a much superior, more correct precursor to the Marxist class model. However, Konkin begins his ex examination of class theories much earlier than Comte, uh, Denoyer, or Marx. He wrote, Rome had three citizen classes and a fourth alien class written into its legal codes. Medieval Europe had continued the concepts and much of the rest of the world had its versions. The upper class was the nobility. That is the royalty and the aristocracy. The arist aristocracy. Uh, who controlled the land and directed its resources. The lower classes were those who worked that land, peasants, serfs, villains, etc. Most people fit in the lower class, but those that fit in neither were, at least in numbers, at least as numerous as the upper class. Many were merchants as they turned villages into towns and then large, powerful cities. They were given the term middle class or terms meaning city dweller, burger, bourgeois, etc., Enter Comte, Denoyer, and the rest of the French school, but we will get to libertarian and agorist class theory later. First, Karl Marx. That's in chapter two. I don't have anything on that one. Uh, not really too much there. Just kind of you know laying out the basics. Um, all, right. all right. Marx's classes. Marx recognized that the millennium-old class structure of Europe was drastically and noticeably changing and that he lived in a revolutionary time. As Konkin explained, the old order was making way for a new one. The aristocracy aristocracy was on its way out, either to liquidation, as in France and the U.S., or to vestigial status, kept around for a ceremonial purpose by a sentimental bourgeois and a bourgeoisie and lower classes, as in England. The bourgeoisie was in the ascendancy in the first half of the 19th century, Marx's formative and most active years. Future events could and were explained by this class struggle theory. The Europe-wide rebellion of 1848 swept away much of aristocratic power restored after Napoleon's defeat. The American Civil War was the northern bourgeoisie's way of smashing the remnant of landed arist aristocracy preserved as by the South. Hmm. Uh, I, don't I don't know if it was smashing them, more just replacing them. And that's that's the whole thing with... With any revolutionary ideology, um, it will it will preach that we are smashing power, but mm -hmm. all it's doing is just replacing it. It's yes. not, um, you know, e even agorism ostensibly. You're still going to have kind of this Pareto distribution of elites within agorism that yeah, yeah, are yeah. the most productive, are the most effective, yeah. and um, you know, you're you're just swapping one one form of power for another. Yeah, that's true. Uh, although I obviously would make the case that's more of a righteous power, uh, although I'm sure many other philosophies would make the same case as well for whatever their given thing is. So, <laughs> <laughs> all 
Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's actually one of my main critiques when like with like the boog and stuff like that, or, or revolution in, in general, especially violent revolutions. Like you do realize this is going to get co-opted, and or someone within this faction will then be like, oh well, we got to take power now because here we are. Yeah. The reality <laughs> on the ground, even if it's a hundred percent successful, is that you just have a, a different form of power. Yeah, like how long did it take for the American Revolution to go to shit? Like probably I don't even was it, I don't even know how how Before long it even ended. Yeah, barely. Like I don't know when the Whiskey Rebellion happened. That was probably like like what within a year or two after, if not even. Yeah, it was like quick fuck. Yeah, as soon as as soon as they signed the Declaration of Independence, they had to discuss like, well, where does this debt that we're incurring go? Oh, yeah. this this nice banker from Pennsylvania will foot the bill in yeah. exchange for X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and it, and it makes, and I also wonder too, like how long it took before we were paying. Like I'm no historian, but I feel like it probably wasn't too much longer before we were paying more in taxes than we were under the English crown. So, like, not sure how long, but probably not very long. And we're definitely paying way more now. So it's a good question, though. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I do think it's a fun thought experiment to think like, should we even have really ever had a revolution? I don't know personally. So, because I know my answer. <laughs> Your audience is gonna like it though. So. <laughs> is it no because i kind of lean towards no as well personally i kind of so. lean towards no yeah. but knowing what i know about like the english aristocracy and the royal family i don't know damned if you do damned if you don't <laughs> yeah I, I also think it would just be one of those things where they wouldn't really be able to hold power in some place especially with the nature of america and that was kind of in a certain sense i guess that's what is responsible for the revolution in the first place so it's, yeah. it's kind of a weird like but had it stayed it's a fun alt history thought experiment yeah while this phenomenon so far was widely acknowledged though it applied poorly to the franco-prussian war of 1979 or 1870 1871 marx was his interest in the transformation of the lower class as in that of the upper class peasants were being driven off their farms serfs were given their freedom to go to the cities to become industrial workers and here are the for, uh, focus of marx's insight First, based on Adam Smith's labor theory of value, Marx saw the evolving workers as the only real productive class. He saw the bourgeoisie evolving into a smaller aristocratic group that held ownership of the new means of production, factories, assembly lines, distributions, transportation systems, etc. The world, Marx said, was being neatly divided between a non-productive class, the former bourgeoisie, now capitalists, and a productive class skilled in using capital goods but not owning them. Capital would control the state. To Marx, this was the world of the future, as evident in his present. Marx's second insight was based on Hegel's dialectical materialism. Uh, you know what? I, I guess this would be a good time. Do you think you could do a quick what dialectical materialism is for my audience, or do you think it's way too – because I know it's kind of complicated. Or, or, or You tell me. Um, sure. So for dialectical <laughs> materialism, um, well, dialectic one is – uh, basically a a struggle a struggle between two um, two opposites although they're not always opposites just two two competing ideas and um, so you have one idea is the synthesis the other idea or uh, I'm sorry one idea is the thesis the other idea is the antithesis antithesis or antithesis and then they duke it out and the end result is the synthesis mm -hmm. so you know, when I say uh, I want gay marriage and you say I only want straight marriage and we duke it out, we come out with civil unions. And then 10 years later, 
You say, I want gay marriage. And I say, I only want civil unions. And we come out with gay marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's the slippery slope fallacy, like the, the reality of the slippery slope fallacy on the ground as applied to politics. That reminds me of our conversation we just had a second ago about uh, revolution and the idea of like, you know, here's a state, we have revolution and then here's what, and this is what we want and this is what you actually end up getting. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, not, it's, it's not always in a bad context. It's not mm-hmm. always, you know, it, it, it's different from compromise. It's, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, it's just how it, it's a way, it's a tool of, of viewing, um, political struggles. It's, yeah. uh, and Mark's kind of just used it as the only tool, but it's, it's a useful tool in some situations. Yeah. History was an ongoing clash of ideas. The thesis existed, the antithesis, antithesis, antithesis rose in opposition, and the clash created a synthesis, a new thesis. Wrote Konkin, this is why Marxist sloganeers always call for struggle. It is all their theory allows them to do. So just as the bourgeoisie ousted the aristocracy to create capitalism, uh, Marx declared the new proletariat would oust capital and synthesize into, well, nothing. The proletariat victory Marx predicted would eventually end classes and class conflict. Granted, the proletariat would control the state temporarily. But once classes vanished and there were no cla- was no class conflict to repress, the state would wither away. Yeah. Um, yeah so. We saw how that worked out multiple times. So, <laughs> But that wasn't real communism. So... Uh, the agri- four, the agorist critique of Marxist class theory. And this will probably be the last chapter to do. I'll let you go. Marxist class theory failed to see that those workers classically considered proletariat would become growingly obsolescent. In North America, unionized skilled workers are in decline, being absorbed by new entrepreneurship, uh, the service industry, scientific research and development, increased managerial function without human labor underneath for exploitation and bureaucracy. Eh. Can, can you repeat you... that last sentence? Okay. Uh, well, I think it was a long-ass sentence. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big-ass. That's basically the whole paragraph. In North America, union – I was thinking you might uh, quibble with that. I don't know if I agree with it either. In North America, unionized skilled workers are in decline. Being right. absorbed by new entrepreneurship, says in parentheses, franchising, independent contracting, and consulting. Uh, the service industry, scientific research, and development increase managerial function without human labor underneath for exploitation and bureaucracy. I don't know if I agree with that, although I don't really have the stats in front of me, so it's hard to argue one or the other. But my gut feeling is that's not right, but I don't know. I mean, increased managerialism and bureaucracy, I think, is absolutely right um yeah. i think he like just grazes you know the um the reality of what's going on right now mm-hmm. um you know where you have you ha- let's say you have an organization or an institution uh the ratio of administrators to actual workers is only the, the, that ratio is only growing and growing over the last even five years um because of incentives and all that because of you know the, the, the state um so i guess maybe he like great I, I can't tell if he was like touching on that or if he just completely missed it and was absolutely wrong is he saying that bureaucracy and managerialism like is in decline 
That's how uh, – wait, he increased managerial function without human labor underneath for exploitation and bureaucracy. I'm reading it as kind of – the way I read it, I mean, it's kind of a lot of word salad here. So I'm reading it, though, as he's saying it's in decline, like the manager. But although I think maybe he's meaning – because, like, I maybe you could make the case that, yes, the managerial, like, state or, you know, whatever is – on the increase in a sense, but there is also bubbling underneath it more people that are moving towards, uh, you know, independent contract. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just reading this wrong. New entrepreneurship, uh, you know. Yeah, so if he means like there's more 1099s now than W-2s, I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, I mean, I I, although gig economy shit now, who knows? Yeah, that's kind of real because, like, yeah, there is that, like, and this is kind of what I was getting earlier, where it's like, it's kind of like a, it's not an either or, it's kind of a both. We're like, yeah, we're getting more people that are moving the gig economy, doing, you know, people, but at the same time, it, it it's feels also, weird calling yeah. them entrepreneurs, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are, and, you know, Kinda. technically. So, I mean, um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it is an entrepreneurial thing. Like, people think of entrepreneurs and they think of, you know, Elon Musk or something, but, you know, the guy who's like, you know, got like four different gigs going on and this side hustle, that side hustle. That's an entrepreneur as well. So, you True. know, yeah. So just one's on a different level. So um, the entrepreneurial problem is unsolvable for Marxism because Marx failed to recognize the economic category. The best, best Marx, this is Konkin again, by the way, uh, he's writing this part. The best Marxist, Marxist can do is lump them with new, perhaps mutated capitalist forms. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's that's kind of working out with the fascism earlier. Uh, I, I think I remember like that. This part of this this book kind of struck me the most. Is like, yeah, he he really didn't take into account entrepreneurs. I mean, obviously they're they're class traders and all that, but uh, you know, they're not they're not really proletariat. They're not. I mean, I I guess they they are kind of capitalist. Although, you know, if if you're borrowing a bunch of money from investors, do you really own your capital? Uh, yeah they're but, they're capitalist adjacent yeah although like we said like how we just defined a minute ago that it's not only just the elon musk the peter teals or whatever it is also you know guys like me and you that i i don't know what your side hustle is uh and you probably don't know what mine are either and that's probably the best way to keep it you know in this world <laughs> but like you know we have we have little things going on most likely and you know a lot more people are doing that these days and that is entrepreneurship and yeah as well so mm -hmm. um so which I'm sure they were doing in the same, you know, under Marxism in most places. A lot of people were turning to that. That was like Absolutely. a common theme. Konkin brings this up all the time. And, you know, you can quibble one way or the other. Uh, and and there's, there's fair argument to be had there, whether it really was agorism that took down the, you know, the fucking the commies. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how you look at it, I think, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, combination so, thereof. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I really, in a certain sense, the matter of perspective, I guess. But. Yeah, there, that definitely was a thing that was happening. They definitely started like, you know, the, the entrepreneurials, people were bubbling under the, the system, kind of fucking up a lot of things. Also helping the people that were getting, you know, downtrod on, you know, make fucking it through. Levi's blue jeans. Yeah. <laughs> like they, that, that's what fucking killed communism. For people. <laughs> like fucking, uh, fucking black market blue jeans. Yeah. <laughs> But if they are to fit the old class system, they are petite bourgeois, the very group that is either that is to either collapse into proletarians or rise into the monopoly capitalist category. 
Small business should not increase in the advanced decadent stages of capitalism. Marxism, this is no longer Konkin talking. Marxism also does not deal with a persistent counter economy. Uh, a piece, or you know, for those who aren't aware, a peaceful black market or underground economy. There's a spectrum of the counter economy tainting workers, entrepreneurs, and even capitalists. Said Konkin, scientists, managers, even civil servants do not merely accept bribes and favors, but actively seek second unreported employment in the black market. And the more socialist the state, the bigger the nalevo. I don't know what that is. Black work or underground component of the economy. This turns Marx on his head. Advanced capitalism is generating runaway free enterprise, the old-fashioned kind. In I reaction. think he's he's kind of bouncing around between Marxism and then you know historic, like what happened on the ground historically. Yeah, that's um, right. It's hard you know, to Marxism would just them. consider like black market yeah. actors to be reactionaries. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they, they would get the bullet, but, um, and on the ground, they often did get the bullet and yeah, he's right. There were, there were a lot of, uh, you know, those middle manager types, um, you know, that handed out the rations or the commissars that, uh, you know, would look the other way if you wanted to take a break from your chain gang or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, there were more often than not, there were like these these shock workers that were true believers and that would more than make up for, you know, produ production deficiencies, um, you know, in whatever industry. So I don't know. It's kind of a crapshoot to me. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. It's, um, it, it's, it's a tough sell to get me or somebody that's like that that knows a little bit about history to say that there were no true believers in marxism yeah. you know like among the masses there there definitely were i guess this might be one of those things uh you know maybe he's interpreting it as yeah there were true believers but in practice you know yeah. kind of deal. so in practice there kind of wasn't and the cognitive dissonance of it because you know uh, I mean, hell, this exists in America. You know, you talk to people, agorism or black markets or whatever. Yeah. I mean, how many people don't report certain income that are that are avid, you know, lovers of the state and taxes, whatever? And I would compare it to like it. the most obese, blue-haired tranny, like still likes to drop an end bomb every once in a while in private yeah. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we see it all the time. When uh, what was it? Uh, fucking Clarence Thomas? Like, how many people were doing that? It's okay yeah. then, you know. So. Um, all right, but boo, boo, boo. the more decadent, uh, in parentheses, status the capitalism, the more virulent the reaction and the larger the counter economy, which is true. I, you know, I don't even think there's really an argument to be had to that. Uh, although they yeah, got, even like, today, what do you mean? I, I guess I'm not plugged in, but do you think the counter economy is, uh, is larger than it was, say, 10 years ago or smaller? I think it's like, do you think it's on the rise or on the decline? I think it's on the rise, but I also think the state's on the rise. Like uh, yeah. it's kind of a bit of both. So yeah, I'm just asking because I'm, yeah. I'm like not really plugged in anymore, unfortunately. I mean, I'm not like, it's not like I'm part of some large network of agorists either, but my, my feeling is that it is. Cause I mean, uh, you, cause you look at things like we brought up uh, 3d printing, we brought up crypto. I think, you know, people, and that's a form of agorism in a sense, 
Um, you know, yeah, well, like agorism is not a binary. A lot of people will think of agorism as only being this like, oh, you're entirely in the black market. No, yeah. it's, you know, so it is like along a spectrum. So I, I do think it's increasing. And I think even people who, and this is a common point of Konkin that like a lot of people are agorists in a sense and don't even really realize it, yeah. in, in meaning in the sense of how they act, uh, you know, so I do I, think it's on the uprise. I, th- I, I keep seeing like these hurdles being thrown at it, um, at least in theory. Um, you know, the, the whole thing with like the $600 earnings, you get a file of 1099K. Yeah. That, that to me, like, you know, your, your, your lumpen agorists that, you know, engage in like gray market activity without really, you know, they're not really political about it. They don't really realize it. Like you just said, that, mm-hmm. that to me seems to be like, the main killer of the counter economy right now is uh the 1099k and then um yeah it's a bitch <laughs> uh what else oh uh just the the complete just takeover of the cryptocurrency sphere mm. um you know it's it's de-evolution into you know these fucking weird tokens and like uh fucking nfts and shit like yeah. that to me seems like it it might have some fed money like that whole that whole push uh seems like it might have some fed money behind it to kind of you know delegitimize the the crypto sphere yeah although Um, i i feel like i could almost make an argument that actually improves the counter economy in a sense as well though because oh yeah it's a cleansing yeah Yeah, it, it, it i feel like it makes people better and even some of the normies because you know, uh, I'll say this, uh, I, you know, I have my counter economy thing or whatever, you know, going to go details, but that definitely was a bitch. The whole $600 thing. It had to make yeah. me change my business practice a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, like you don't get me wrong. Like a lot of agorists still claim, uh, you know, you know, people who even claim the title of agorists will, will still say, I don't know. Yeah, no, I will first, you know, claim tax on this and that. Cause you, you gotta be, you don't want to be an idiot. Like, you, oh, know, yeah. you know, and so risk like, management. but yeah, it's risk management. And it's but at the same time, you know, like you just kind of adjust your practices, you know, cash, you know, that's, yeah. that's easy. Like, I mean, it gets a bitch though. Like, cause it's like, you can't put that cash in your account. Like, yeah. uh, but you get smarter, you find ways to deal with it. Um, you know, I figured you might bring up the thing with the IRS agents, how they increase yep. a bunch of them. Although like, I think in a certain sense, you know, that might make the, the IRS st- structure more bureaucratic and harder to control on their end you know, having so many and like, like, uh, cause yeah, I don't know. You don't know what the effects of that are, are yeah. going to be. I guess we'll find out, you know, yeah. tax season when I get audited and escorted out in cuffs. <laughs> yeah. Like you were former military. I, you, I'm assuming you were probably in around like, I think 2015 when they had the big mm-hmm. cuts, like you yeah. probably remember that. Uh, and I remember even around when I got out of active around like, a was it like, like a, was it a year ago now ish something. I don't know, whatever. It was a while ago. But they they, I, they were still feeling the effects of that because what happened is they got rid of a bunch of people and then then shortly after there ended up being a boom of new people yeah. like a bunch of people came in but it's and like, then a bunch of people that didn't deserve it got elevated yeah and then you yeah so you have that aspect a bunch <laughs> of idiots that didn't deserve it got elevated most of your best you're gonna make me an E five wow <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of your best workers got kicked out because a lot of the guys because they would usually get people because they had some infraction earlier in their career yeah. and usually some of the guys who had a pass were usually some of your better people yeah. uh, you know and then on it top was of only that, the ones that yeah. look good on paper that 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 got out, that got yeah. out of that the uh, enlisted retention board I yeah. remember that it was like yeah. 2012 to 2014 or something yeah. it was shortly after I got in yeah. and uh, I remember like. You know, there was like a handful of people on my ship. One day they were there and one day they weren't. Or they got like 
transferred to a different job that needed people. Yeah. And like, it's, it was fucking insane. And I'm like, looking at, looking around at what's left over. I'm like, how the fuck did you make it? Yeah. But the point I was getting at too, is since we got a right after that, we got a huge boom of people. And like you brought it, brought up it, you know, elevated some people. And then on top of that, like you've got a bunch of new yeah. people, a ton of new people, not skilled people. You hollowed out your skilled people. Well, this and is now like the have- Misesian idea that busts are actually good. Um, yeah. You know, like it busts are like a cleansing of malinvestment and stupid people. And I think and yeah, that's that's I guess I, I should be looking at like the, the crypto space, at least as that like, OK, get get your fucking monkey drawings out of here. Get your fucking <laughs> uh, um, what is it? Your uh, what is it that v- Vitalik Buterin? Um, I'm not. I'm not as hip on the. the oh, I need to in the theory, crypto game, but yeah. It's like yeah. you know, get your fucking uh, centrally controlled fucking cryptocurrencies out of here and just like make it Bitcoin. Yeah, and then or, you have the, the Canadian truckers thing where a lot of people lost their shit. I'm not a huge crypto guy, so I don't know the details, but I know a lot of people have their was their custodial wallet or whatever. Like a lot of people have that shit where it's like other people control it. Point and now, base, yeah. Yeah, and so now a lot of people have learned, hey, don't fucking do that. Learn how yeah. to fucking have your own shit. And it's something so, that like people like Car Camp it on my show screams about constantly. Like if the coins aren't in your wallet, they're not yours. Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of people have gotten smarter about that now. Yeah. I would think, I would assume that would probably be the uh, the, yep. the the method in which that happened. Yeah, it's a, but, it's a cleansing. Yeah. But even worse is the class of counter-economists. That is, by Marxist class structure, the black marketeers cannot be a class. Workers, capitalists, and entrepreneurs in active collusion against a common common enemy, the state. Uh, I would say whether they mean to or not, because that's the point I'm getting at earlier, which like there's a lot of people who engage in the black market, even like Soviet-type stuff, that whether they mean to or not, it does actively go against the interests of the state, whether they're doing it intentionally or not. Um. I think now uh, the state isn't so concerned about like material benefit, like your tax, like I I think they have to put up that front, but you know, like we were talking about with ghost guns, I think it serves the interest of the state. If you are a black market actor that, you know, happens to have the, the cultural views of the regime. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. At least in 2022, definitely not in Conkin's time. That was unheard of. Yeah, I, I can agree. I, I do think it's a little bit of both in a sense, but yes, I definitely, that's once again, one of my main critiques of uh, agorism is it's, you know, it's aesthetics of the left in a sense. Which if you're making like black market fucking gay pride flags. Yeah. Are you really like going against the state? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's in, yes and no kind of like sort of, yeah. but like, yeah. I mean, not as much as you should be, I guess. But yeah, it's you're probably not going to get hauled off to jail for tax evasion. True, many do not perceive themselves as in a common class, and some even yeah, that's what I just said, and and some even try to deny their black activities even to themselves, thanks to religious and social guilt induction. Yeah, I was told, I've already said that multiple times. The cognitive dissonance, just people do that because their incentives drive them to do it. Um, and yet, when the agents of the state appear to enforce the laws of the power elite, the counter-economists from tax-dodging businessmen to drug-dealing hippie to illegal alien to feminist midwife are willing to signal each other with a universal, watch it, the fuzz pig slash flicks slash federalities. I never heard flicks. That's a new one. Uh, slash et cetera. 
Even in extreme cases, the commonality of the counter-economist has generated an economic determinism as strong as any Marx considered to weld the class unity. But this is still not the worst. This like is, I, I think this is so incorrect in 2022. I mean, you take a black, you take a left-wing black market actor and a right-wing black market actor, there is no, there's no help to be had between them at all. They are enemies. Um, I like because everything's politicized now in terms of uh, American competing ideologies. Once so again, I, think- I feel like a fence sitter, but I'd say yes and no. It depends because the beautiful thing about economic interactions, you can have opposite like, yeah, maybe you aren't going to be friends. But if you guys are dealing in similar wares, you might be able to at least get along to some extent enough to be able to get by. But yeah, yes, I, guess I get it what you mean. on what the wares are. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I do. I do think culture does matter. And uh, you are kind of, you know, feeding into the uh, um, the will of the regime in a, in a, in a lot of senses. When you I do, think of you know, uh, like up until recently, OnlyFans, um, people that people that did OnlyFans, I mean, a, a favorite pastime of, of a lot of people were to report OnlyFans uh, users to the IRS and, uh, you know, watch, watch their fucking Twitter meltdown. Like, Oh, I just got audited. I owe the, I owe 36 grand in taxes now. What the fuck? Yeah. And, uh, I don't, I don't agree with that doing that, but I will say fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I gotta wonder like how many, how many black market actors of the right wing variety were like in on that. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, you do, we have all your, you know, especially now it's really rising the, the hyper religious within our right wing. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in like a negative way, like, or oh just my God. Shit posters. Yeah. Or just shit posters, which are just trying to see shit. Like, yeah, I could totally see a lot of those like uber religious or shit posters engaging in that. And I, w- I would agree. I would say, don't do that personally. I don't think you should, but I will laugh at it. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's bad and wrong, but it's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, this class unity is not that of a worker's class, though workers are heavily involved, nor of a capital class, though capitalists are involved, nor even of a ruling class. This class is based on the commonality of risk arising from a common source, the state. And risk is not proletarian. It is purely entrepreneurial. And I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. I agree with you. I guess the point would be, you know, uh, like obviously these right wingers or whatever, whoever was reporting these uh, OnlyFans were not engaged in market activity with these. I mean, yeah, maybe they were buying their OnlyFans, but I doubt they were reporting the the people that they were like, you know, fans of if they were. Because once you're engaging in market activity, uh, you know, and you've built up and you're both engaging in it, there is this common, like we both are dealing in risk. Like it's this idea of the the prisoner's dilemma. Like we're not going to fuck each other over here. Be stupid. Unless one of you get, unless you're a fed or some shit, then yeah, it's a different story. But yeah. yeah, I, um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's that friend-enemy distinction, um, which I don't know if Kahn can really hit on, other than like the state's the enemy and other yeah. and and other uh, counter-economic actors are your friend. Yeah, that's a that's a tough sell nowadays. Yeah. Once again, I'd say yes and no. Yeah, I do agree. Culture matters a lot, and I do think, and I think this is a. I, I don't even think this is indicative of just Konkin. I think it's indicative of libertarians in general. Uh, and this is only I, I, I mean, maybe I'm not like a libertarian historian by any means, but I do. I have noticed in the past like five years, a lot of people are starting to come to this realization of that, that, uh, yeah, you, you, you can't, like yeah, they're, 
There's there's been a sifting in libert within libertarianism yeah. that now you have a right and a left. Yes, and it and it matters. So, and I, yeah, it, 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 there's like, no uh, yeah. And even even professing to be culturally agnostic puts you in a camp. <laughs> yeah, and like. And in, in, in a sense, I I would almost say this. Actually, you know what? I, I'm definitely right wing. I was about to say I'm kind of not, but <laughs> like, yeah, uh, uh, right wing in the sense of like, uh, you know, like the NRXs and shit. I guess if I was using Conkin's way, he was meaning it. I'd say I was left wing in his sense, but I I don't. I'm. I mean, I all right wing is is against against the left. Yeah, which I think that's more than more than adequate. Yeah. Again, to make it clear, if the entrepreneuriate was our toss into the capitalist class and the Marxist must face the contradiction of capitalists at war with a capitalist controlled state. At this point, Marxist class analysis is in shreds. Uh, clearly oppression exists, but another model is needed to explain how it works. But yeah, the point I was getting, I, I don't know if I said it eloquently enough was that like, yeah, uh, it, it was very much a common thing of past libertarians to kind of act like, uh, you know, neither left nor right. And, Although I do think there is, in a certain sense, truth to that. Uh, you know, depending on how you're, you know, you're meaning it, I, I, I do think that they're kind of missing the mark. Because uh, yeah, with yeah. the collapse of the pragmatic faction, I think it's pretty clear now. Yeah. Well, all right, that's the end of it. I kept you like a few minutes longer than I meant to, uh, but we got in some good conversation. I think we should be able to knock it out in the next one. We there's four more chapters to go, but each chapter is like a page. So, cool. too. so, uh, and with that, you don't want to go and drop your plugs, uh, and we'll get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at BTWA returns on Twitter and, uh, listen to us live every Wednesday, uh, timeline earth. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And this was the no way Jose show. You can find me on YouTube, all the major odd buckets, odyssey as well. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at senior Jose 2020. I've been nuked multiple times, just like Aaron. So if you, uh, if you want to follow me somewhere where I won't be nuked, but I don't interact much, if you want to have that backup, you can follow me on Twitter under Jose Galison. If you want to support me, patreon.com, just no way Jose 2020. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. I appreciate you, Aaron. I think we probably have one more left and we'll knock it out. This will be the shortest live reading series I've done so far. So I appreciate it. This has been great. And we are out.